Hello and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. It is Nick Sararis. It is Tuesday. Busy, busy week. Lots to talk about this week. Very hockey-centric. Hockey season rolling. Second full week. Season started last Wednesday. Yesterday we talked about the NWHL with Leanne, who was an absolute joy to have. Someone who's very, very funny and worth a follow on social media. Today, Chicago Blackhawks with one of my friends from Hockey Twitter. But we'll be there in a sec. Just, you know, got to take care of the business. Like Ethan likes to call it, got to take care of the housekeeping. Please throw a, a subscribe on Apple Podcasts or a follow if you're on Spotify or if you're on another um, podcasting platform. Please subscribe. Leave a review. Leave a, leave a comment in your review if you're on the Apple Podcasting platform. It really does mean a lot for me as a content creator. Every little bit of engagement helps, man. That's all I'm asking for, just a little bit of engagement. All right, now, now that we've got the housekeeping out of the way, to set the table, Chicago Blackhawks, one of the utmost iconic franchises in all of professional sports, original six franchise in the NHL, went through a 50-plus year drought of Stanley Cup wins, won their first cup in over 50 years in 2010, with a core centered around Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, Brent Seabrook, Duncan Keith, and Corey Crawford. That's the core baseline of the franchise for much of this decade. They went on to win cups subsequently in 2013 and 2015 with guys from that, with that same core, with different tertiary pieces. The, the names changed around it, but those were the key five guys for the sustained era of success with head coach Joe Quinville behind the bench. Quinville, one of the more important coaches, uh, one of the better coaches in the league. He is currently the head coach of the Florida Panthers. His exit after the 2016-17 season was not particularly great. Jeremy Colleton, who is a main subject on the podcast with Alyssa on the other side of the drop, has gotten off to not the most auspicious of starts. Stan Bowman, the GM, not doing a particularly logical job, we'll say. Uh... A lot of half-hearted measures towards rebuilding, not really actively pursuing a rebuild until his hand was forced by the situation. The state of his roster, I should say, is a better way to phrase it. The Blackhawks are an extremely young team with a lot of storylines to keep track of. At the time of this recording, they have only played three games. Fourth game will be tonight against the Florida Panthers. They've lost all three of their games so far and have a goal differential of 15-5, to so not great. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop, and uh, here's Chelsea Dagger. Bickle, they force a turnover. Here's Keyes and Keyes. Two on one, hustling back his point over. Shot, score! And with that, to come talk about the Blackhawks, I welcome on someone I know from Hockey Twitter who can kind of Peel back the curtain into the psychosis that she's going through right now. How are you doing, Alyssa? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. You know, it's I am a Blackhawks fan right now, which is just a tough place to be overall. But, you know, it is what it is. So let's just jump right into it. When did you get into hockey? What's your hockey origin story? What's like your first hockey memory? Oh, so I... I mean, we're just generally a Chicago sports family. So um, sports are always on in the house and the Blackhawks are one of them. If you live in Chicago and you're generally interested in sports, typically you're a Chicago Blackhawks fan. Um, 
And I think, I mean, I like remember my earliest memory of hockey specifically would have to be, I just remember this one game I went to in 2010. So like at the very beginning of when it was all going to happen. Um, and I just remember sitting in a, those super, the highest possible suites. <laughs> Me and my friends were sitting up there and I have these like really horrible pictures taken on like my Nikon camera of like Patrick Kane. Cause that was like the only player you knew as a kid and looked up to. But um, yeah, and I mean, through high school it was generally just like, I love the Blackhawks, I love my hometown team. And then like in college, it really became like a deeper interest in the sport of, as a whole and became like the hobby it is for me today. So would you consider yourself optimistic or pessimistic in general about your sports teams? About my sports teams? I like to be optimistic. I was, I've been raised a Cubs fan. So okay. it's kind of ingrained in you to be like, next year <laughs> we got it next year um and I mean I think maybe as far as like a Blackhawks fan at this point in time you kind of become pessimistic just because you've seen a good team for the last like it's, at least since I was a hockey fan it's been a, like a great team and you're like used to winning and so like now that it's kind of starting to tank you get like a little bit more pessimistic naturally <laughs> But that's not really being pessimistic. I'd say you're more being realistic. You understand True, yeah. that you, you were coming into this year expecting, all right, this probably isn't going to go well, but I'm still going to watch. You got to be yeah. realistic, realistic. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm a realistic optimist, I guess. And then, I, I mean, you essentially become over emotionally pessimistic once like one thing goes wrong and you're like, oh, fire everybody. But, you know, it's. It's interesting because like you had said, the Blackhawks went through what you could call a dynastic period. They won three cups in five yeah. years. They have probably four guys who are going to end up in the Hall of Fame that played on those teams. Five, if you want to make the argument for Corey Crawford, a really long lasting legacy of guys. And there are just so many iconic moments in my head from that era. I mean, the goal that ends the drought, the one against the Flyers that kind of just squeaks through the one in the second round against Detroit in the lockout season where they called it back for a goal, went to overtime, and then the Blackhawks still won in overtime. Them scoring the goal. I think, it, what was it, Boleg who scored the goal against the Bruins in game six? Yeah. yeah. There, just so many things that are seared into my memory because the Blackhawks kind of defined this era of hockey. Them and the Penguins were the two teams that defined the last 10 years of the NHL. Truly, yeah. No, definitely. It was kind of like a magical era in Chicago – not even Chicago, like hockey history, just Chicago sports in general. They just, they just stand out as like the longest tenured core. And so they really do have like this hold on Chicago hockey. What was the moment for you that hit you where it was like, well, fuck, this is my life now. <laughs> I would say, yeah, I would, I mean, this is like such a privileged, like take on it, but like it was at the parades. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just to say it plurally I know is so like privileged but um the but like specifically in 2015 I just remember like after the parade route there was like it was just like the streets were flooded with you know red red and white and it was just kind of like the city just like the Blackhawks fans just took over the city and the Blackhawks the whole team in general just had this like impact on creating this like culture in Chicago of like loving their team and I think that's just like was my favorite part about it was like experiencing that level of like camaraderie and like 
unity with your city and like how a sports team can do that was like super special to me. Did it feel like it was going to just be forever like this? Like you rattle off the three cups in five years. Did you just kind of feel like maybe we will just keep being one of the five best teams in the league every year and we'll see what happens come the spring. Oh, like for sure. Like when you, when you like reach that level, you kind of like feel invincible and kind of, like I said earlier, like you feel like you get accustomed to winning and you're just like, Oh yeah, we can do this forever. Like for sure. Like we don't even know what a bad team looks like anymore. It's both. I guess you could say we've been uh, humbled a bit, but yeah. That, Cause that's one of the interesting things is that pre Kane and Taze getting there, the Blackhawks were like a joke. Like the oh, last sure. decade, like I remember reading news, I remember reading articles like years and years ago about like the Blackhawks owner used to fight to get their games off of television because no yeah. one was going to the games. Like that's the level of bad the Blackhawks were pre Kane and Taze that they were fighting with the local sports network to get the games off of TV so people would actually go to the United Center, which is crazy because when I think of the United Center, I think I think the yelling through the anthem, I think of the rowdy crowd, I think of Vince Vaughn, I think of a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was like, it. I mean, that was like, that was what it was. I mean, Keith and Seabrook would stand in Union Station, like downtown and like try to just give people tickets at at the train station and like to imagine that right now is like crazy to me but they really were at like they were they were at the bottom the bottom and so it was nowhere but up from there so reflecting on that team aside from the obvious talent difference where those teams had so much depth going through the lineup where you had the third and fourth line guys you had the Bickles the Teravinans the Mm -hmm. Bowlegs the Bufflins all these guys who came through there that had to go on to other places. Culturally, what's different about the Blackhawks now versus then? Ooh, I mean, I know that it just feels like a, it feels very team chemistry is a big issue here. Um, and I think there are a couple factors that go into that. One of them, a huge one is coaching. Um, I mean, like Joe Quenville, like him leaving, there was like huge, there were huge shoes to fill, like no doubt about it. And he really was like, he was like the the kind of the see I can't even put into words kind of how special he was but um he was really like the glue for that team and he was really good at creating good chemistry between players and like not only putting a bunch of good players on a team but um to have somebody behind the bench who was able to um make them a cohesive unit and make them constantly like a winning force um, I think was a really important piece to all of that um, and yeah I think I know that like when you're acquiring good players of course you're going to get a good outcome but there was definitely some magic in the way those groups performed together and they just became a powerhouse. So a lot of what I've perceived to be the Blackhawks issues aside from just obviously it's a younger team less talented is mm-hmm. that from the front office doesn't really know what it wants to do. It's made decisions where it's like, all right, we want to build towards the long-term future, but then it's doing things that don't match up with that, whether it be trading Saad the first time or the second time, mm-hmm. whether it was trading Panera and that kind of thing. It kind of seems like there's a continuity issue where Bowman still wants to try and win right now because they do have Taze and Kane and Keith under contract, but at mm-hmm. the same time realizing that, well, we're not going to be able to do this forever. We should start worrying about the future. And He's trying to have his cake and eat it too, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I know 
he's really I know that we are in a rebuild period that's for sure because the core is aging um you need to replace those with younger um better players um but at the same time like that declaration of a rebuild kind of felt a little bit like saving face and a little bit of buying time to try to make up for what he had already kind of messed up and all those conflicting decisions and so um it is really it is really a struggle to look back on what he has done as far as like all of those trades that you just mentioned um and if you are going to rebuild then why are you trading players like you know like Yogi Haru who you drafted just in 2017 um you developed him for like a year and then you traded him off for Alex Nylander who I mean don't even get me started on he just he's one of kind of Colleton's little favorites that he puts up at the top line who doesn't really deserve the minutes in my opinion um but it's kind of things like that where it's just this disconnect between what is the direction of the team and do you even know how to rebuild a team do you know how to make a team that doesn't have Kane Taves Crawford Keith Seabrook all in their prime and I think that's something that Bowman is not really capable of. And he gave himself a promotion in the offseason, which was kind of one of the more shocking yeah. things, considering, like, I, I kind of felt like the general consensus amongst us in the hockey community was he was on thin ice. If they had another yes. crappy year or two, he could be shown the door. So why are you promoting yourself to team president and general manager? I feel like, there, like you had said, that the disconnect is there. And it's, it is daunting to try and rebuild the core of a team that won multiple cups over time. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, the Red Wings did it, but they kind of, you know, they got lucky. You know, you get guys in the seventh round who turn into Hall of Famers. It's a little easier to maintain a core for a long period of time. And we've seen, I mean, Keith is still a decent hockey player at this point. He's nowhere near as good as he used to be. Seabrook, I'm not going to bash Seabrook. He was really good for a long time. He's old now. He's he's just old. Well, that's that's my thing about Seabrook too. And I I really do strongly make this argument is I kind of like compare him to like, this town elder who like gave all of us these like these riches and like these championships and like he like played his part he like did his time so like I will let him live out his crappy years on this team like I have no problem with that and I he also just does contribute so much to the team as like a leader too so it's not like these core players are getting like even if they are getting a little bit less efficient on the ice they still do bring so much morale to the team and the organization that they still have like a place and a purpose yeah there was a really good profile about Duncan Keith today in the athletic I will say the Blackhawks have really Mm -hmm. good media people who cover them Mark Lazarus specifically I enjoy his right I enjoy his writing a lot he wrote a profile today about Keith where it was a yeah when Duncan Keith first came up he would start fights in practice just to kind of get people going for fun (laughs) And now he's like the old man who's like giving kids advice where they should be living in the city and how to stay out of trouble. And it's, you see full circle, like Keith's been in the league 12 years, 13 years at this point, And you see how far people come. And I mean, you just think of all of those things. You think about Keith playing 35 minutes a game in the playoffs all those years. And now he's like you said, an elder statesman like Seabrook, but he still can give you a little something. And he doesn't seem to want to go somewhere else to have a chance to win a cu- another cup. He wants to be a Blackhawk. For sure. Yeah, he does. And I mean, he had, um, after we had drafted Kirby Doc, who was going to be a big part of our organization going forward, he brought him into his home and he lived with him. And I mean, there's definitely, you can't say there's no benefit to that. I'm sure he learned so much from Seabrook, um, just being 
around him all the time and kind of learning from him and they they still do they still do bring a lot to the team yeah and i will say for all of bowman's warts he does manage to get good guys in the draft Debrinket is awesome kirby yeah. is once he gets back from his broken wrist he'll be fine mm-hmm. they've managed to find those fringe pieces i've always been high on boquist coming out of europe when he was an amateur prospect going into the draft I feel like there are pieces there, but the timeline for when those guys are going to be dominant forces doesn't match up with what's left of the team. And we still have, we have like 20 minutes in here. We still haven't talked about that Taze is away from the team because no one really knows why he's away from the team. I mean, the consensus seems to be that he's dealing with the lingering effects of COVID where it's the shortness of breath, the constant Mm -hmm. fatigue type thing. And that's a looming thing because, you know, Taze is one of the best captains, best leaders in the sport. And I imagine that's got to be emotionally draining for the people on that team. For sure. Yeah. And I think not to sound like tinfoil hat, tinfoil hattie, but it, it does feel reminiscent of when Hosa had his illness and he was es- essentially retired from the team. And so like, I think we do kind of have that worry in the back of our heads about like, what is happening to Taze? Like, what does this mean? Is this, some kind of, I don't want to say that it's like caused by this conflict between the veterans and the coaching staff, um, which I know has become a thing ever since Colleton has taken place behind the bench. Um, But I do know that he does want to be back out there on the ice. Like that man wants more than anything to be leading his players and to be on the ice. So it is a scary thing to think about and I think a lot of us don't talk about it right now because we're just kind of scared of what's going to happen but yeah yeah in the hockey community there are a few people as revered as Jonathan Taze whether you're talking about his Olympic stuff for Canada what he's done with the Blackhawks over the last decade one of the genuine leaders one of the good guys someone who's always who's a a role model for people around the game someone uh, anybody would kill to have on their team that that's the kind of guy Taze is yeah yeah absolutely I mean, and that's how we see him in Chicago too. He's kind of like, he's our, he's our, he's all our father. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that's a very accurate way to put it. That is, it's weird to think about it in that realm, but he is the father of that team. He is, <laughs> I mean, he's probably at this point what the second, third most tenured person on this team. He's been mm-hmm. around a long, long time. Right, and he's been captain for a long, long time, and so he just kind of like has that intuitively. Um, and that's that's kind of what you want from your captain, especially going forward through a rebuild too, when he still um, contributes a lot on and off the ice. Like he's still a good player, a good productive player, and so he's going to be really important in these first. Hopefully, not a very long rebuild, but as far as this rebuild will take. Okay, so now that we've kind of set the baseline here, let's talk a little bit about the team this year so far. They've played three games. Granted, we, we all kind of understood that coming into the season, they were going to have, we'll say ups and downs because they were coming in with three goaltenders without a lot of experience, no Taze to center the first line, no Doc because he broke his wrist at World Junior. They were coming in with a pretty bare bones team that was going to give up a lot of scoring chances, but hopefully be able to score enough that the lack of defense wouldn't be that much of an issue. So. Mm-hmm through these three games they play florida twice they play no tampa twice and they play florida and then they play florida again tonight as we're mm-hmm. recording on tuesday night just give me give me your vibe check let's let's call it that give me your vibe check 
vibe check. Um, vibes are not great right now in Chicago, but I mean, it's so far, it's not really looking promising. Even like 0 and 3 aside, goal differential aside, um, just watching the hockey, it's not fun hockey to watch. It's watching a lot of, it's watching three AHL goalies compete for uh, a starter role, and it's watching a really um, bare bones defense. Um, go at it and it's also watching we don't really have much down the middle either and so it's it's really not entertaining hockey and it's kind of really frustrating to watch too um and so it doesn't it doesn't feel very promising you kind of morale's a little bit low I guess because while I was doing prep for this I was kind of looking through I was going through all the charts and the graphs and the kind of thing the goaltending mm-hmm. is an obvious issue. The save percentage yeah. collectively is like 870-something when the league <laughs> yeah. average for goaltending is 910. If you're 910 yeah. or above, you're considered an above-average goaltender. And then the shooting percentage is the other issue. They're not converting their scoring chances. No. They're something ridiculous where they're only hitting like 4% of shots or goals, which is just obviously it's a small sample. You can't take statistical conclusions from only three games. But mm-hmm. there are legitimate concerns based on how they played thus far. And like you had said, you got to be realistic. There are three AHL goalies in the net. There's one, one and a half NHL centers. I mean, say what you will about Dylan Strom, but he in spurts, he's been able to be effective recording points. But other than that, I mean, Walmart, Suter, there's not a ton here down the middle. And Kirby should be back hopefully mid-March, late February, early March. Then you get a little more depth because then you get Strom, Doc. And if Kays is able to come back, that's not a terrible one, two, three, those three. No. Yeah, no, it isn't. And I mean, I'm, I really am concerned about the goalie issue just because I, I don't think they were put in a place to succeed any of them um, just with what's in front of them. And it's really rough. I would really like to see Malcolm Subban in a proper uh, backup role, but they're all kind of put in as starters and not only like are they all just like their own starter they're all rotating so they don't really they're not going to get comfortable anywhere is what I'm trying to say and I think it's going to be a pretty pretty rough from that standpoint yeah that, and that's a very good point because goaltending is one of those things where it really helps to get as many reps as possible and get into a run when you think mm-hmm. of the dominant goalies in the league whether you think of Vasilevsky right now or you think a little bit back over the years whether it was Rask, Lundqvist, Holtby they were at their best when they were able to rattle off six, seven starts in a row and then get a game off and then come back, stay fresh, that kind of thing. Repetition helps, especially because the angles, that's the thing that it's very obvious to say, but the more pucks you see, the better reactions you're going to have to all of the Mm -hmm. angles. And it's a key for a lot of those guys who, like you said, are more or less AHL fringe backup guys who don't have a ton of experience. I know I saw that Lankanen is starting tonight at, having a three goalie rotation is untenable. Let me tell you as someone who had that with the Rangers last year, you don't want to have three goalies because like you had said, no one gets into a rhythm. No. Yeah. And I, they're all young guys too. So the thing is like, if you want to build them and develop them properly and have them be part of your future, um, it's not really benefiting any of the three of them to be (laughs) their each other's mentors. Um, And so I really would have liked to see maybe, I mean, in hindsight, it's not really, it wouldn't have been great if we had kept Crawford um, now that he's retired. But if we had kept Leonard and you had um, like Kevin Lankinen as your backup and you had something to build off of, but this is just kind of 
it's kind of just, you're just juggling three goalies and it's not really, it's not really logistically sound. No, absolutely. And that's a good point that I forgot to put down in the rundown is that how good Leonard was for them last year. And it cut, it kept them in the mix where like, they're not the most talented team, but they had enough high end talent. And then he, Leonard gave them enough when Crawford was able to play, he gave them a little bit. And they beat Edmonton in the bubble, which I know I know that was kind of like everyone, LOL, the Oilers can't win anything. <laughs> but you still have to go out there and beat them. Still, you got to play, you know, the best player in the world and like the seventh best player in the world. Not easy. And they did manage to win that series. Yeah. And I think that was, I think the playoffs last year were f- that first round was fun just because that core specifically, like, Canon tapes they thrive in a playoff environment and I think they had been missing that for a long time and so having that last year was kind of like kind of kicked them up a notch and so I mean yeah it was fun to meet beat <laughs> Dreisaitl and McDavid but how do you feel about the state of the organization going forward do you think that it's going to be Bowman and Colleton that leads this team through the abyss or do you think that this is going to end up being a all right, we need a new GM, we need a new head coach, we need to trade some of these guys, we need to acquire more draft picks, more of a long-term rebuild, like the way the Rangers did, the way Ottawa is doing right now. What, what's, your, what's your sense of how the organization is, at least how you feel about it, I should say? Yeah, um, I, in this regard, I am kind of like a little bit pessimistic and like we're going to be stuck in this for a while just because, I mean, Stan Bowman was just... <laughs> just promoted to president of hockey operations and um he's I mean essentially he's been in this role for a while because he is Scotty Bowman's son and that is kind of the thing that's just been hanging over us is we're kind of stuck with him for a while just because of that and I think that is a lot of the reason why he is like they are looking in the opposite direction the front office um, when he does do things that aren't exactly right and it's just I think um they kind of have like this chip on their shoulder about it and I'm afraid that for that reason Colleton is going to be given chance and chance again um as well and that's I mean Colleton and Stan Bowman are kind of just like my two enemies in this in this spot right now I don't think we're going to get very far with both of them in their current roles so I, I am a little bit wary about how the future is going to look with both of them as it is right now. So would you say it's cl- obviously you don't know this is your best assumption. Do you think this is a one-year thing or a long-term thing? If you had to guess, which side is it closer to? Being multi-year <sighs> or just a single year where, okay, we got to clear out cap space. We got to make a move here or there. We got to wait to see what the cap situation is like next year, assuming revenues go back up and there's a little more financial flexibility um I it's hard to tell just because I think a lot of this might hinge on what happens with Taves and when we figure out what's going what is going on with him um if maybe perhaps like whatever is going on with him does impact him long term um who knows but I do think overall it would take multi-year rebuild especially looking at kind of like our current prospect pool and like kind of what we have in the system. Um, And if Bowman continues to make these very conflicting 
trades and acquisitions too. Um, we're just kind of going to be spinning in circles, I think. What are you looking forward to this season? Because you are going to watch the rest of their games this season. There I are am. 53 <laughs> more of them. I, I, I understand I have the same affliction, no matter how bad the team is, I'm going to watch. What do you, are you looking forward to about this season? Um, looking forward to, I think I just want, you know, from like management, I kind of want some direction. I kind of want no more conflicting trades and acquisitions. I want Stan Bowman to like, look at the team that he has currently and kind of critically and have like rebuild intentions with every move going forward. I kind of want to see like no more of this, like one step forward, two steps back moves. Um, we are in a rebuild now. So I, I want to actually see changes that tell me this is for the future. And I mean, we don't really have anything to sell. So like, maybe that just means shuffling picks and getting better picks and making sure our drafts are going to be good um, in the off season. And I mean, whatever it is, just be smart and intentional with it. And I think um, from like the bench and the coaching standpoint, I kind of want stability and consistency. I want to see what Colleton has to offer because he needs to, he needs to get his stuff together. He really needs to step up and actually prove that he's this supposed like great, like youth coaching talent. Um, Cause I just don't think we've seen it yet. And so I'm hoping that this proclamation of a rebuild is going to, is going to give us that. And like, I just want him to kind of put his ego aside and admit sometimes when he is the problem and when his calls were the problem, because a lot of the time it's, oh, it was the work ethic or the effort of the team wasn't there. And so I just kind of want him to admit when he's messed up, but I also kind of want Colleton to coach the team and not just the youth and kind of work with the veterans because that hasn't really been a great collaborative effort um, in the past. And so I just kind of want um, him to not favor the young players too much, but still um, I'm kind of rambling now, but <laughs> just, I just kind of want him to not put players and spots in the lineup with no rhyme or reason or not giving important minutes to guys who haven't shown they deserve it. And I kind of want us to just play out this season and see what happens and actually like make changes based off of what we saw this season and not what just, your... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, just, just not just, I want to see some competency really is all I want to see at this point in the game. What are your impressions of Colleton when it comes to stuff with dealing with how he comes across in the media and that kind of thing? Cause that's my biggest gripe with David Quinn, the Rangers coach is that he just comes off where it's never his fault, where it's always, well, we didn't skate hard enough. We didn't play for, we didn't forward check hard enough. We didn't play well enough. It's never his fault that the team wasn't ready. How do you feel about how Colleton comes across? Oh my God, where do I even start? I mean, I think that he really is a little bit, he comes off a bit arrogant and I, he comes off as a guy who's one of, if not, is he the youngest coach in the league? I because think he, it's either him or Sheldon Keefe. I'd have to Google it. Okay. Yeah. But either way, he comes off as this guy who really needs to like prove himself. And I mean, he's replacing, he was replacing Joe Quenville. Like you have, you have a lot, you have big shoes to fill and I get that. But at the same time, you need to recognize when it was, you put, it was like, you put John Quenville in the last dying minutes of 
the games, uh, the last playoff game of last year. And that's how we lost the game. That's how, that's how we ended the season was with John Quenville. And it was just, it was a wrong call and he really defended himself. And it was, it's just kind of like things like that, that really make me think he hasn't stepped up to like, he hasn't stepped up to his role of where he says he is this, or people, um, the media specifically say that he is this guy who's, he was a great coach in the AHL. Like he is really great at developing young guys, um, but he also doesn't um, collaborate well with the veterans too. And I think that's going to be a big issue as well. Um, so I don't know, Jeremy Colleton, man. Hey, that, there's like three actually good coaches in the NHL. So I understand your struggle. It's, <laughs> yeah. We're all just circulating the same 35 old white men. Right, who, right. And okay, it's this person's turn. Like, I'm sure someone is going to hire Babcock next offseason. I'm sure someone is going to hire Gallant next offseason. We're just going to keep doing the same unicycle ride with 35 teams. Excuse me, 35 coaches for 31 teams. 32 teams once Seattle comes into play next year. Coaching in hockey isn't like it is in football where it's a lot of preparation, that kind of thing. It's kind of the guys have to go out and do it. There's not really a ton of game planning. You have systems and stuff, but – in hockey, the systems break down because of how fast the game goes, that kind yeah. of thing. I understand your pain. The, I, I can definitely understand your pain. Of <laughs> This guy, he, he knows how to work with kids. He was the coach at BU. Jack Eichel was there. They didn't win anything together, but he was there. Yeah, right. that's really what I want to run my hockey team. That's great. Yeah, yeah. and I can, I can respect the fact that he is like a younger guy coming into the game and like he's, he's a new fit. He's not just one of the same circulated coaches that we've seen. And so he is trying to like make a name for himself. But um, there are a few things that he needs to tweak about his uh, approach that I think will make will make him a better coach. But he needs to take those steps first. How do you feel about the coverage of the Blackhawks in terms of your media in your area? Because I've been getting more and more frustrated with how the publications in New York cover the Rangers just because they never really address the problems. It's just kind of like, well, this is what the coach said, regurgitating back to what you know, I watched the press conference too. I didn't need you to just quote him, you know, ask a question. How do you feel about how the Blackhawks are covered? No, I think they're covered pretty well. I think the, um, the current media that we have are really intuitive and I think they know what the fans want to hear. They, they kind of answer the questions that the fans want answered. And I think that's really important, especially when um, you're, they're talking directly to coaches and players and trying to get what we want what we want to know out of them and kind of want getting an idea of how how we're perceiving their game too yeah it it's frustrating as someone in the media it's just like could you ask one question please (laughs) i i I watched the game coach dave I, i understand you guys didn't win the game but them saying what do you think went wrong well we didn't skate hard enough we didn't check hard enough what does that mean why weren't why didn't the team skate hard enough why weren't you guys forward checking more aggressively why didn't why did you bench this player why did you push this player up in the lineup it's at some point i i just want to go through the tv and wring his neck because there's no actual explanations (laughs) right yeah it's empty coach speak it's the it's arguably the biggest problem hockey has is just that everyone's a robot that no one actually has any anything interesting to say that oh absolutely yeah it's the same lines over and over well we got pucks deep got some looks it's rough 
let's just put a pin in that that part of the conversation. So just to kind of wrap things up, talking a little more generally about hockey, what other what players do you like to watch around the league that if you're not watching the Blackhawks, who do you like to keep tabs on? Ooh, I'm really interested in the Flyers right now. I think they're a lot of fun to keep up with. Um, and then I'm also keeping an eye on Vancouver as well. They're, I mean, they've been really fun since um, their previous uh, playoff runs. I think have been really a good time. So I'm kind of, I'm keeping tabs on them while I'm <laughs> simmering in anger over the Blackhawks. The Flyers are a very fun team. They're another team that's kind of limited by their head coach where he's yeah. not very creative. We saw them get outcoached by an Islanders team that that's definitely good, but doesn't have the level of talent the Flyers do. Flyers are a very sure. talented team. I mean, Nolan Patrick coming back from the migraine issue that kept him out all last year is awesome to see. Lindblom coming back mm-hmm. from cancer is awesome. Kevin Hayes is very entertaining. Travis Konechny <laughs> is Travis Konechny is Travis Konechny. You know what right. I mean if you're listening to this. They're an entertaining team. And Vancouver, same thing. A lot of interesting personalities. Elias Pedersen is hysterical. Really, he, he's a little too online, and that might come back to bite him in the ass at some point, but he's very funny. He's very funny. <laughs> um, Before I get you out of here, they're playing Florida tonight. So how do you feel about them being in that central division and just the structure of this season? Yeah, I mean, this season is definitely interesting for sure. Um, I'm glad that it's shorter just because I know that it's not going to be a good time but um, I don't know I think it is going to be it's going to be pretty interesting I know tonight they're going to bring Kevin Lincoln in and so we're going to see kind of what he's all about Um, but I don't know it's 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 going to be good it's it is different just because you don't kind of have those same divisional rivals and it's not structured the same so you're not looking forward to all the same games but I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting for sure. Aren't you glad you get to play Tampa Bay eight times this year? Oh, Isn't that just terrific? I that, love it so much. <laughs> that was so, uh, I, when I was looking through the schedule, I was like, wow, they really made the Blackhawks open with Tampa Bay for two straight games. And then they get to go to Florida for two more games. And then they get to go to Nashville for two more games. And you're, you're really sitting at like one, four and one after six games. And that's your season's over. If you yeah. start off out really slow this year, you're there's not time to sleep through October like teams usually do. Where it's the what's it called? It's the Pierre LeBrun thing. Where if you're out of a playoff spot by American Thanksgiving, you don't make the playoffs like ninety percent of the time, something like that. There's no catching up this year. For sure, no, there's not. There's really no time for anything. But um, not that I really expect us to. But I do. I do think through a rebuild, you should stay competitive because otherwise, like you're showing the young guns like, well, this is what it is, kids. Like just a lot of losing <laughs> until you get good and you get good enough to beat all these other teams. But so it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun year. It's how you end up being the Sabres where it's like Ryan O'Reilly telling the media, Yeah, we lost so many games I started not liking hockey anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You really don't want that to be like the face of your franchise saying that. Not not a good look. Not a good look. No, no. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. I've been watching the Blackhawks mostly because I was just curious to see what was going to happen. And they are a compelling story. And I would absolutely love to have you come back on in about three weeks. More of a wellness check type of deal that you're still (laughs) here and you've gotten through three weeks of the Blackhawks season. But three weeks or so, we'll check back in.
<laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It was really fun. It was kind of, um, it felt very equivalent to laying down in the shrink's chair and just kind of venting my feelings. So it was, it was great. Thank you so much for having me. There's no better way to understand the team than through the plight of its most dedicated fans. <laughs> no one is going to be able to tell you the problems with the team more than someone who's up at 1.30 in the morning thinking about why the third line left wing ended up playing on the first line for the last six minutes while the Rangers were chasing a goal. No one is going to be able to tell you more about the problems than someone who has psychosis <laughs> from their team. Exactly, exactly. Where can the people find your Twitter with your Harry Styles and your hockey tweets? <laughs> it is, I am at Alyssa with two A's at the end and then Corinne, C-O-R-R-I-N-E. And so if you are suffering through the season and you like to deal with things through humor, um, we will get along. Alyssa is a very funny person. I, <laughs> her tweet about Jason Sudeikis and Harry Styles like two weeks ago, I like, oh, I spit taped my coffee how hard I laughed when I realized, oh wait, that's what happened? That's why Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis broke up? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, we will be back tomorrow. Penguins episode, they are playing tonight as well. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen is making his season debut after having visa issues getting into the States. So the Penguins started out kind of slow. They lost their first two games and they came back with their backup goalie against Washington and won. They play again tonight. So I'll be checking in with Hunter, talk about the Penguins. Then going for Friday, conference championship weekend, the NFL. What else needs to be said? I'll see you guys tomorrow. Thank <laughs> you.